0: As Pastor Chris said, my name is Pastor Jason. If you don't know, I'm the creative arts pastor here at the Mission. And uh, we're in a series right now called Fearless. And for the last several weeks, we've been going through the book of Joshua. And I don't know about you, but the more I think about this sermon series title, the more it just kind of strikes me funny. Like, I mean, no disrespect to the preaching team or anything, because, like, I'm a part of that team. (laughs) But. But I think it's because being completely fearless is something that is really hard for me to fully comprehend. Because it's no secret that we live in a day and age where fear is running rampant. Fear is everywhere. There have been times when I was fearful for my wife's safety. There have been times when I was fearful to send my kids to school. I mean... There have been times when I couldn't sleep because there was something going on at work and I was fearful of how it was going to play out. When I watch the news, fear. When I look at my finances, fear. When I think about my health and that maybe one day I might have cancer, fear. Anybody else besides me resonate with any of those? (laughs) Like, I mean... How are we supposed to be fearless when we live in a world that causes us to be anything but? How did Joshua do it? How did Joshua face the battle, the battles and struggles before him while staying fearless? Little background on Joshua. Joshua was a brilliant military leader and a person of incredible spiritual influence. He served his whole life in full obedience to God. And that he was, and, and that was really the key to Joshua's success. His unrelenting faith and his obedience to God. And after the death of Moses, God told Joshua that he was with him as he was with Moses. God told him to be strong and courageous and he would never leave him nor forsake him, and, and that Joshua would lead God's people, the Israelites, to the promised land. Right from the very beginning of the book of Joshua, he be, God begins to unfold this plan that He has for Joshua's life. He doesn't give him the whole plan up front, but God gives Joshua the end result, right? And then the first piece... To get him going isn 't that just like god isn 't that the way God works so many times? See for me and maybe anyone else who have been a believer for a long while, this moment that Joshua is facing where is where fear can begin to rear its ugly head. You know when God lets you in on something crazy that he wants to do in your life, you know and he just gives you like the first piece of it to get going, <laughs> you know he, he tells you he 's going to do it, but he doesn 't tell you how. You know, and and he doesn't give you the whole plan. And anyone, I mean, anyone know what I'm talking about there? Like, I, I know I've been there quite a bit. And So, here's the thing. Good preachers, people who are good preachers, have all kinds of stories in their back pockets about someone else in their you know in their life, and they whip them out during messages, and somehow it always goes along with what they 're preaching about, and their supply of these stories it, it kind of seems endless and they 're always on the hunt for new ones so I guess the moral of the story is be careful what you do when you 're in a room with a preacher because <laughs> it might end up in the message but i 've heard i 've I've heard preachers tell stories about missionaries and veterans and lots of stories about their kids and scientists and and even the occasional gorilla from time to time and uh, but but unlike them today I feel led to uh, I feel led from God to share a bit of my own personal journey with you through the lens of Joshua 6 so I hope that's okay Um, just like when God told Joshua that he would deliver the people of Israel to the promised land I remember when he first told me he was going to deliver me and my family to the promised land. I was terrified and I, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was to this strange, weird land called Redlands, California. No, seriously, I mean, here's a little background on my wife and I. My wife is a Southern California native who was born in Newport Beach, California, and hates to be cold. And I'm just a kid from Ohio who decided I was going out west where I belonged, right? And uh, after we got married, we did ministry in Southern California for many years until God called us away. He called us to this place, this faraway land called Watertown, New York. And uh, now, I don't know if you've heard of it, but... Um, let me show you where Watertown is. So we have a map of New York, I think. So, okay. Oh, it's fuzzy. All right. So, so like, right down in this area is New York City, Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, and Watertown is that blurry mark right there. And there's Canada. (laughs) So, I mean, so that's where Watertown is. You cannot get more different from Newport Beach than Watertown, okay? Like, I mean, and you can see how close to Canada we were. So um, so we moved to Watertown, New York, New York in mid-March. And believe it or not, in mid-March when we moved there, there was four feet of snow still on the ground. Uh, the temperature gets well below zero and the wind chill factor gets like as low as negative 20. Winter lasts for six months in Watertown, and to us Californians, like, that was a crazy long time, like, are you kidding me? It's April, how's there snow still on the ground? But over time, we developed some incredible, meaningful relationships and friendships there, and we still have lots and lots of people who we love that live back there, and and even after a while, like, a long while, the cold wasn't so bad. Um, it was never enjoyable, but it, it wasn't so bad. And, and so we settled in, and as time went on, we began to run a very successful multi-site ministry for the church that I worked at. And I was the host pastor at this site that was an off-church campus site. It was directly focused on supporting and uh, reaching military families that lived on a military uh, army base nearby. And I could not believe how God prospered us Our family through this time. We we saw people come to faith. We saw marriages restored. We saw miracles happen. But amongst all that, to us, it never fully felt like home. On our fifth year of serving the church, um, God began to give me some insight into the fact that our time in Watertown was coming to a close. And and shortly after that, I began to have long phone conversations with my friend who was being named the new senior pastor of a church refresh in Redlands. He asked me to begin to pray about coming out and being a part of this ministry. So I did. And immediately, right from the very beginning, I started to get excited about the idea of it. And my friend and I continued to talk on the phone for months about life and ministry and ho- our hopes and our dreams. And Kim and I began to pray together and we agreed that we definitely felt the call of the Lord to this church. And and it wasn't an easy decision though because like i said we had many loved ones in watertown and we we also you know just being honest like we were well paid for our work there and and we even lived in a church parsonage which almost never happens especially if you're not a senior pastor you know and so we had a good thing going in watertown and many times i wrestled with feeling the call of the lord to redlands but not knowing how i could possibly leave this all behind. And eventually it became clear that moving to Redlands is what the Lord wanted for us. And we, we began to work out the details. And it was then that I found out how much the church could afford to pay me. And, and it was about a quarter of what I made in Watertown. And it was like not even enough for us to like get a place and pay rent and stuff. And, and not to mention I had no clue how we were going to pay for a family of four to move across the country and live in california one of the most expensive states to live in right you know and fear honestly just fear began to creep up on me so much so that i called my friend and said that i was sad to say it but i didn't see how it was even remotely possible for us to be a part of this ministry under these circumstances. And I thanked Him for thinking of me, and I thanked Him for our phone conversations, which had meant so much to me. And in my mind, it was a done deal. I I had closed the door on the possibility. and It wasn't until I told my wife what I had done that I began to wonder if I had made the right choice. And that's mostly because she basically slapped me upside the head and said, You dummy if the Lord has called us to this place, don't you think he will provide for it? Like, aren't you supposed to be a pastor or something? You know, right? And I thought about what she said, and and I disregarded it, because come on, who listens to their wife, right? And so, so then I went and had lunch with one of my closest friends and spiritual mentors at the time, and his name was Christopher Hopper. And he already knew that we were considering moving and that the possibility excited us. And after telling him how I closed the door on the prospect of moving to Redlands, he very kindly, very gently told me the exact same thing that my wife had told me, right? And and this time I, I actually listened and I immediately called my friend back and told him, you know, I don't know how... I don't know how we're going to survive, but we're coming to Redlands. We're coming. And, and as I began to take steps towards Redlands in obedience to what I felt the Lord wanted for us, He began to provide our every need in ways that I could never, ever have dreamed of. It wasn't easy by any means, but we never were in need because God always provided Now, we've been here three years, over three years now, and in our adult life, my wife and I have never, ever felt so at home in a city as we do here, and we love Redlands with a burning passion, and we desperately want to see it reached for Christ, and after six years of long, hard, cold winters in Watertown, Redlands is certainly the promised land to us, Um, (laughs) It's a land flowing with milk and honey and Augie's coffee. And (laughs) the feeling of home that Kim and I share towards Redlands, Joshua and the Israelites, they're about to experience that for the first time in our scripture today and just in case you missed any of the sermons in our Joshua series let me just give you a quick recap of what's happened in Joshua so far you can always go back and listen to them on the podcast but let me just give you a quick recap so it's been a long road for the israelites god brought them out of egypt and parted the red sea so they could escape in safety from from the pharaoh and and he even provided food from the sky for them to eat, right? Like, how cool is that? And because of their disobedience to God, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And God allowed this to happen because He knew that a new generation was going to rise up and truly accept the call that he had placed on their lives. And and as I said before, after the death of Moses, Joshua began communicating the will of God to the people, and they committed to following him as they did Moses. Joshua sent two spies out ahead to look over the land that God had promised them. The promised land was actually uh, uh, called Canaan, And the two spies entered a city of Canaan called Jericho. The people of Jericho had openly rejected God and indulged in evil practices and intense idolatry. Uh, They had been given hundreds and hundreds of years to repent of their sinful ways, but they had not done so. So God had to carry out severe judgment on them and strip them of their land. And shortly after the spies had reached the city, the king of Jericho got wind of their presence and ordered his soldiers to find them. And the king feared the Israelites, right? Because all of Jericho, the buzz was going around about how God had protected and provided for the Israelites. And the Bible says that their hearts melted in fear. The, the soldiers and kings of Jericho, their hearts melted in fear. The two spies had been hidden by a prostitute named Rahab. Like all, like all the others in Jericho, Rahab had heard the stories of what God had done for the Israelites. And she was no dummy. She wanted to declare her faith that their God was the God in heaven above and on the earth below. She then made a pact with the two spies that she would keep their presence secret until they had escaped safely. As long as when the Israelites came to conquer Jericho, her and her family's life would be spared. The two spies agreed, got back to Joshua safe, and they told him all that had happened. This piece is important because we encounter Rahab again today in in today's scripture. Um, After the spies returned, God instructed Joshua to have the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan River. The river was flooded, but as soon as the priests carried the Ark, carrying the Ark, set foot in the Jordan River during flood season, God caused it to dry up underneath their feet. And they crossed the river, the Israelites crossed across the Jordan River during flood season on dry land. When they got to the other side, they celebrated this incredible thing God had done. God then began to give them instructions on how how He wanted them to prepare themselves for battle. He went to great lengths to let them know that on the day of the battle of Jericho, it would not be won by any power that they possessed, but only by the power of God alone. And that day of battle had come. The day of battle had come. And that's where we pick up our scripture today in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. So I'll give you a second to turn there. Joshua chapter 6 verse 1, I'm actually not going to have you stand today, normally we stand for the reading of scripture, but this is kind of a long set of scriptures, and, and so I'm just, uh, we're, we're going to stay seated today, because this is kind of almost like a, a story, so, um, so, alright, so Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites, no one went out, no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have, a, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voice. Do not say a word until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp, spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this For six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except for that on that day they circled the city. Wait, (laughs) they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are in with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into His treasury. Now, this get this. When the trumpets sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. Okay. I know that was a long scripture, um, but I felt like a lot of that was really important and there was just no way around it. So um, so let's set the scene a little bit. Let's just discuss what we just talked about. So uh, you have Joshua leading the Israelites and God tells him that it's now time to begin the battle of Jericho. The Bible tells us that the gates of Jericho were securely barred and no one could get in or out. And, and actually, archaeologists... Um, tell us that the walls surrounding Jericho were so fortified in places that they were 25 feet high and 20 feet thick. Think about that. Those are some big walls, right? Like, I mean, 25 feet high, that's like three Shaquille O'Neal's. You know? I mean, think about it. 20 feet thick... I mean, that's about like from me to the end of the chairs or something, you know, like a solid fortified wall. And yet in verse two, and this is crucial for us today, God says to Joshua, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. God is telling Joshua, your enemy is already defeated. Just listen to what I have to say. And I'm, I'm thinking, if I'm Joshua and I'm looking at these walls and I'm looking at what we have and, and God is telling me, don't worry about it, I got it defeated. And I'm just thinking like, all right, big guy, what are we going to do? What's the plan here? How are we going to tackle these walls? Are we going to build like some catapults? Because that would be pretty cool. Um, or... Oh no no, that's not creative enough for you god. Like like maybe you're going to give us like each a condor, right? And we're going to like ride the condor and fly for an aerial assault over the walls, right? Like that would be epic and I always wanted to ride a condor. Good thinking, big guy. Good thinking. Good job. No, thankfully Joshua didn't think like me. He just opened himself up to whatever the Lord was about to say with no expectations, right? That's the key. No expectations. And this is what the Lord told him to do in verse 3-5. through March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. These horns are actually called shofars, and they're used in religious ceremonies. And many people believe that God had them use these horns carried by priests, not soldiers, to remind the Israelites that their victory would come from the Lord and not their own army. So God says, have your whole army march around the city walls one at a time, I, I mean, one, one, one time a day for six days and have the priests blowing the ram's horns, and on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. In verse five, when you hear the sound, a, a long, when you hear them sound a long blast of the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the walls of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Again, like what God is telling Joshua to do is crazy. And, and and if I'm Joshua, again, I'm just thinking like, okay, God, so here's the plan. Let me get this straight. We're going to do some laps around the city walls. We're only armed with ram's horns. And at some point, we're supposed to give a shout. That's the plan, right? I mean, because like, I think my condor idea could work. You know, <laughs> like, like I, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm just saying consider it, you know. Um, uh, But Joshua is without fail obedient to God. He, he instructs the Israelites to do exactly as God said. And you know what? They did. And you know what? The walls came down, right? In verse 20, when the trumpets sounded... The army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. The Israelites had been devoted and followed the Lord's instructions. They had been obedient to the Lord's instructions. And even though the instructions themselves sounded crazy, God had given them the city. He said it in the very beginning of the chapter. We read in verse 2, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. I have delivered Jericho into your hands. See that word have right there in verse 2? That word have means possess. God is telling Joshua that he already possesses the victory over Jericho. The enemy is already defeated. Before they even did one lap around the city walls, the enemy was defeated. Before the first blast of the ram's horn, the enemy was defeated. All they had to do was be obedient to God, because the enemy was already defeated. Not by the Israelites' army strength or skill or intellect, but because God said so. The enemy was defeated. And all Joshua and his men were was relentlessly obedient. Now, there's a lot going on in this chapter of Joshua, and so many different ways I could have taken this message. But this idea of an already defeated enemy really stuck out to me this time reading through the story. And maybe it's because I can relate to what it's like to do battle with a defeated enemy. I mean, it's, I mean, anyone who's a Christian knows what I'm talking about because we do battle with an already defeated enemy every single day we're on the earth. Satan, the devil, the enemy, whatever you want to call him, he lost all authority over us when Jesus rose up out of the grave. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to the cross to atone for our sin and suffered a gruesome death. And at that death, Satan thought he had won. But on that third day, Jesus Christ rose again. And the enemy was defeated once and for all. But does that mean we don't do battle with Him daily? The enemy is a tempter and a deceiver but he has no ability to make us do things we don't want to do. That old saying, the devil made me do it, man, that's not even remotely true. Because he can't force us to do things that aren't already in our heart. He can tempt us, but he can't force us. And that's where being obedient to God is so vital. The choice of obedience is day is a, it's a choice that is made day by day, hour by hour, and sometimes minute by minute. And no one is saying it's not hard because it's super hard. But if we fix our eyes on the Lord and are relentlessly faithful to Him and do what He says, we need not fear the tempter or anything else for that matter. We can truly be fearless like Joshua was. And suddenly, through that lens, God's plans for our lives don't seem so impossible. The pieces of the plan that He slowly gives us don't seem so crazy. Because all we're doing is just being obedient to the One who dried up the sea for us to walk through. All we're doing is being obedient to the One who made the walls that stood in our way crumble. We're being daily obedient to the One who will deliver us to the Promised Land. As I mentioned earlier about how Redlands was Kim and I's Promised Land, I actually wasn't kidding. it was about three weeks after we moved back to Southern California, we lived in Crestline at the time, up near Lake Arrowhead, and, and which made for long drives into Redlands, and this one particular day, I was headed into, the, into Redlands for one of the mission's very first staff meetings, and I was leaving Crestline on the 138, and I turned a corner, and the view just took my breath away. The clouds were perfect and it felt like I could like almost touch them. You know, I, I had to pull over and take a picture, you know, it was just so gorgeous. and like So I pulled over and I'm taking pictures and I just began to thank the Lord for bringing me here to this time and place and I snapped a few more pictures and got back in my car and started to drive again and it wasn't even a minute later that I went around another curve. And I saw, guys, I saw this view that felt like, almost like I had been swept up into heaven. Like it was so beautiful that it felt like somebody had punched me in the gut. <laughs> you know, like that I had, it was just so beautiful. It took my breath away. And honestly, I'm going to admit this, like I began to tear up at how beautiful this this view was. And as I'm like, getting choked up, I hear the Lord say to me in a gentle whisper, you haven't seen anything yet. Because what's around the corner for you and for the mission, you wouldn't even be able to imagine. I just began to pray and worship and give thanks in my car the whole drive to Redlands. And I got to our staff meeting and I began to share with our pastor and his wife what I had just experienced. Don and Suzanne Crawford were there too. And we all just began to weep at the Lord's goodness. Ever since then, every decision that I have made as an associate pastor here at the mission, every conversation I have, every song I sing, every message I preach, I have been striving for obedience to that moment and to God's plan for us. We have made many mistakes along the way as a leadership and I'm thankful that God's mercies are new every single day. But in my heart of hearts, I know we face an already defeated enemy. And God will have His way with you and with me and with the mission. We won't get to see the full defeat of the enemy until Jesus comes again. And believe me, Jesus Christ is coming again. But we can live with the knowledge that the victory is Is already God's. And that the key to victory in our daily battle is obedience to Him. Trusting Him every step of the way. Because what God ordains, He will provide for. So we need not fear. Let's go to prayer. Lord God, I'm just humbled and in awe of You. Lord, I thank You for what You are doing in our church, Lord. Help us to be obedient to You, Lord. God, help us to listen and not judge what You you say, Father. Help us to open ourselves up like Joshua, Father. Without expectation to You. Father, we just... We're so thankful for Your presence in this place, Lord, and and God. We want to see this city changed, Lord. We want to see a powerful movement of the Holy Spirit through these streets. Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to listen to You, God. Father, we thank You for what You're doing in this place. And we ask You to continue the good work You started.